welcome back to episode 214 of tall boy radio and as we always say who knows where it goes when the beer flows well maybe this week it is flowing all the way to the seventh circle of hell or at least gaz's house anyway how are you doing gaz yeah i'm okay dude oh, oh god i've got a little struck down with a little bit of the lurgy and which is obviously why for those um keen observers of our uh, podcast which is why you probably realize that me myself and beans aren't in the same the same place recording yeah a bit of the lurgy but I'm, I'm feeling good i'm looking forward to this looking forward to this episode always great when we have guests on always great when we have returning guests on so yes uh, looking forward to this Indeed, yeah. So a returning guest as Gaz has trailed it there. He's quite right. And the last time that we were joined by this particular lady, we were talking about witchcraft. We'll find out if that is going to be the topic tonight. Lindsay, how are you doing? Hello, yeah, I'm good, thank you. It's nice to see you again. Indeed, it's good to have you back. Yeah, thank you. I feel like we might be in for that. I do remember the Toffee Crisp advert a few years ago where the where they were in a seance and the, the toffee crisp wrapper came <laughs> fluttering down from the sky. You never know, something might, like that might happen. It might sort it's out our one. audio or <laughs> might have some strange voices. But then again, probably not. <laughs> because it's all very mundane. No, maybe, maybe. And if we do have that happening, then guys will see it about four or five seconds after we do. Because he's having a <laughs> yeah. few visual issues tonight. So did, <laughs> did you want to talk about <laughs> Which you... will detract from the authenticity of it all, and we won't be able to sell it to the BBC because it'll all look like it's staged. Oh, of course. That's, yeah, that's the, last, the last thing that you want is you two to have a massive reaction. I'm just like this. <laughs> <laughs> it does look funny. It does look funny. <laughs> so, Lindsay, then. So, tonight we've trailed it. We've called this episode The Last Witch of Scotland. And I know you're not a big fan of, you won't be a big fan of the video artwork that we've used, but I, I promise you when the audio comes out, you'll quite like the picture that I've used on there, I can promise. It's much more authentic. Okay. I didn't really have a problem with the picture you had already. <laughs> that's, that's good. It's, it's, it's a bit cheesy. It was a bit cheesy, I thought, to be honest. But, you know, it hopefully hooks people in to watch it. <laughs> so the reason this one came about was, Last time I was on, we talked about the Pendle Witches, and I told you some stories about, well, witches in general, James I, a little boy who was late for his supper and got into trouble, so we made up a massive story about horses and greyhounds and hares and bread that came down from the ceiling, etc., etc. And someone asked in the chat who, who was the last person tried under the Witchcraft Act in the UK. So that's where the idea for this show came around. I'm quite good on the Pendle Witches but I can in by no means claim to be an expert on Helen Duncan or the, the last witch of Scotland as, you, as you've called her so it's all very conversational this so I thought we would start with a little tour through the Witchcraft Act from the 16th century onwards until probably 2008 or something wow. um, surprisingly then have a little chat about this case that happened in the 1940s with Helen Duncan yeah, definitely, definitely. And just as a quick one, Gaza, don't you think the 1940s seems awfully late to have somebody prosecuted under the Witchcraft Act? Awfully late, yeah. I mean, if, if you'd have asked me, without obviously sort of doing a bit of reading, and I, I possibly would have said maybe sort of turn of the century at the latest sort of thing, maybe 1910, 1920, if you went down the, the typical sort of 
Lovecraftian era and you think, okay, the occult and witches and that. I mean, that, that was obviously huge around that sort of time and stuff. So I, I don't know, I, I'd have said possibly 1900, maybe 19, 1920, but definitely not, definitely not 1940s. No, I thought that was way too late. Definitely, definitely. So before we get to that then, Lindsay, tell us a little bit about this witchcraft act that this poor lady, this poor hellish now fell foul of. Well, what I was just going to say to, to Gaza, actually, it sounds really su surprising that that it was kind of still hanging around in the 1940s, 1950s, but actually there's a legacy still lurking around well into the into the 21st century as well. So we'll touch on that briefly at some point. Wow. But yeah, so the Witchcraft Act. The, the first, everybody knows about Henry VIII, or most people know about Henry VIII, and how he had a really big struggle with religion as part of his reign. He was married to Catherine of Aragon, who was a, a Catholic lady, and decided that he wanted to divorce her. So he had to find a really good, compelling reason to, to do that. And ultimately, completely managed to divorce himself, not only from Queen Catherine, but from, from the Catholic Church and Rome itself. So he started the, the Church of England and the Protestant Church, as we kind of have inherited it in, in these days. So part his his reign was was very much categorized by this by this duality between God and the the devil good and evil what's the right way to worship God what's the right way to do religion and part of that journey was parliament passing the first witchcraft act in 1542 and it was the first time that witchcraft was made punishable by by death so there's a there's a quote here that's a bit bit long-winded and a bit wordy, but it defined witchcraft as a person who would use device, practice or exercise or cause to be devised, practiced or exercised, any invocations or conjurations of sprites or spirits, witchcrafts, enchantments or sorceries to the intent to find money or treasure or to waste, consume, or destroy any person in his body members, or to provoke any person to unlawful love, which sounds a bit dodgy, or for any other unlawful intent or purpose, or for despite of Christ, or for lucre of money, dig up or pull down any cross or crosses, or by such invocations or conjurations of spirits, witchcraft, enchantments, or sorceries, or any of them, take upon them to tell or declare where goods stolen or lost shall become. So, so basically, you weren't allowed to do any sorcery, any witchcraft, tear down any crosses, say bad things about God, or or to try and guess where stolen goods were hidden. <laughs> so that was the, the witchcraft act in just a few words, or twenty thousand, as it, the Parliament had it at the time. Well, I tell you what, though, I tell you what, I'm pretty sure we could get gas on a couple of those things. <laughs> 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 you, you're probably right. <laughs> Are you a witch? I, I, I don't believe so. So then that witchcraft act was revoked and a new one came into power in 1562 under the reign of Elizabeth I. And this became known as the Act Against Conjurations, Enchantments and Witchcrafts, which wordage will sound a bit familiar by now. 
So this one was a little bit more gentle. And in this act, only those people who were actually guilty of causing harm were executed. So previously, under the, pre under the last Centuries Act, you, you could be put to death for pretending, for doing any of those things that I've listed in those long words. Whereas now, under, under Queen Elizabeth, you, you could only really be put to death if you, if you hurt someone or killed somebody. So you could go to jail for, for lesser crimes like putting a spell on your neighbour's milk or whatever. <laughs> However, after 1562, records of homicides or, or murders caused by witchcraft start to appear in the, in the public record. So in all, since then, 228 murders have been deemed to have been done or enacted by witchcraft. So about 17 of those were done by the Pendle witches that we, we talked, talked about last time. So 157 people were accused of homicide under the Witchcraft Act. About half of them were acquitted, but only nine were men. So mostly witchcraft, as, as you probably could guess, is a, is a woman's crime. All those evil women doing, doing <laughs> wicked things. What do you mind if I, sorry, just interrupt. Why was that? Maybe I've played a little bit too much Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> is, a, is a male witch a warlock or something like that? Uh, yeah, some people disagree with the with the term warlock. If you're a witch, you're a you're a witch. And and actually, the around about this time, the definition of a witch was somebody who'd made a pact with the devil. So that could be a man or a woman. But <laughs> there's a lot of misogyny floating around at the time. People didn't want nosy, gobby, kind of opinionated women sticking in the nose in where, where they weren't wanted, saying what's what, etc. Women were supposed to be meek and mild and serve their husbands and stay discreetly in the home and clean stuff or, or basically run the entire homestead while the husbands went off doing whatever. So, yeah, misogyny is the answer <laughs> in short. So anyway, at the same time, the Scotland has its own Witchcraft Act of 1563. And in the Scottish Act, being a witch, as well as consulting with witches, could lead you to being, lead you to being sentenced to death. So not only did you have to, you know, have your, your pet toad and your cauldron and, and supposedly make spells and have pacts with the devil. If you went round your local witch's house and asked her for help, then that could also put you at risk of being prosecuted as well. So, so it's quite interesting, going back to my question to Gaza before, that you're in different houses tonight, so you can't yes. be spotted. Oh, That's correct. <laughs> I, put, I put a pentagram on my door to keep him out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that might encourage him in. Yeah, yeah, probably would. So in 1603, James I comes to the throne, and there's another witchcraft act, which now included anyone who invoked evil spirits or communed with familiars. So familiars are your toads and rats and hedgehogs and all kinds of other unlikely creatures that, that witches were known to shapeshift into to, to conduct their, their dark deeds and escape off into the fields. So it was all about at that time, Jay, I don't know if you remember, James I wrote a book called Demonology. In, in the 1590s, where he kind of laid laid out this big picture or plan for what a witch was. It was where the, the witch made the, the pact with the devil and they had a mark on their body where the devil could suck and, you know, receive sustenance from. All of this came straight from him. And this act was all about 
dealing with evil and wicked spirits. So, so this is where the kind of tone of the story of the Pendle Witches com- comes from. And around the same time, interestingly, the, James I had married his wife, a, a Danish lady, in the, in the 1590s. And as they were sailing back from Denmark to England, massive storms blew up and, and he, he had been brought up in this, this whole culture and family stories about witches who were out to get you. And he was the, he was the, um, the heir to the throne. So he was at massive risk from anyone seeking to undermine him in any way. But witches were a really big fear for him. And he was, became convinced that, that witches from both sides of the, the North Sea had tried to, to blow up these storms to, to sink his ship, to, to destroy him and prevent him becoming king of England. He survived, the Queen survived, but roughly about 100 people from North Berwick and the coast in that direction were tried for witchcraft. So the North Berwick trials were very famous in, in um, Scottish witchcraft history. So this kind of links to Helen Duncan, who we'll get to in a little while, because her story starts with the sinking of a boat. In, in the 20th century. So the Witchcraft Act then went through another couple of kind of evolutions in 1735, where, where we get to a time of um, enlightenment. Witchcraft is now kind of considered an impossible crime. So people by this point had kind of got to a point in their thinking where they're, they're like, well, how can someone cause someone to die just by putting a spell on them or whatever? It just wasn't feasible anymore. So the act now still existed as a witchcraft act, but it punished those who were pretending to be witches rather than people who actually said that they were witches. That makes sense. That makes a little bit of sense because, you know, when he said that, like back in 1735, if they're recognising that it's impossible, then we're going to deal or talk about someone in the 1940s. You do have to ask how. How, if it's 1730, they can realise that this is beyond reasonable expectation could we be looking at the case of a woman who was unfortunately got herself into a little spot of bother with the law in the middle of the 20th century yeah but you'd be surprised at the level of belief that is still there although with a slightly different focus so it's not so much the kind of lizard boiling wing of bat type stuff of james the first but it is it's there nonetheless Sorry, no, just, yeah, no, I was just going to say, because going back, I mean, myself and Beans are 50, so probably going back maybe when we were at school. So even, what, about sort of 30 years ago, 35 years ago, so there was a huge sort of resurgence in, was it Wicca? And that and, and, that, and there was loads and loads and loads of, and actually thinking about it, really sort of stereotypically maybe misogynistic, but girls that were talking about Wicca and, and there was a big, sort of craze of that now i at the time obviously completely naive and didn't understand wicker and witchcraft and wizardry and all of that but but i i I wonder whether and just thinking back i wonder whether or not and and you'll probably be able to tell us is is there an act still in place i mean we'll get to that but i'm starting to think is there an act still in place now and it might be worded in a slightly different way it might not be called a witchcraft act but I, I, I don't know. Is, is there an equivalent nowadays as to what it was back in the forties or the turn of the century or seventeen hundreds? You know. So, but it, it just got me thinking then about has it gone more? This is going to sound a horrible phrase. Like underground, and like the, the, there are still people that still 
worship it and still, uh, I'd say, perform witchcraft, if that's even a phrase, I, I, I don't know. But we'll, we'll probably get on to that. But just then what you were saying, it just got me thinking about when you said it's a, a lot more prevalent than perhaps we realise, is it just got me thinking then about actually back in the day when myself and Beans were a, a bit younger, it actually was, and, and, and kids, I suppose, were talking about it. Yeah, no, it's it's really interesting that, that you should say that because whilst there isn't a witchcraft act today and yeah. whilst there are lots of people who identify as witches or they just have a passing interest in witchcraft and the, the dark arts, as it were, and yeah. um, there's lots of people, you, you mentioned Dungeons and Dragons, so there's this whole fantasy culture that you, that you can be kind of you can go down that that rabbit hole it's really really interesting as a as a subculture but but some people some people like the like myself like to to study the history of witchcraft some people practice witchcraft so so they do make spells and invocations wicca is a, is a very is not necessarily the same as witchcraft but definitions around the difference between Wicca and witchcraft are, are really difficult. Wicca is all about ceremonial magic and relationship with the earth, which doesn't necessarily feed into many people who identify as witches' practice. Witches's? That's not very good grammar, is it? But hey, <laughs> witches' <is. laughs> so, so is, is Wicca, is, it, is that more akin to paganism then? That That's really difficult. So... Again, paganism is quite difficult to pin down as well. Some people consider paganism to be religion that isn't Christianity or religion that predates Christianity and is all about gods and goddesses, so the, from the Romans and the Greeks and, and other ancient civilizations. There's a big resurgence of interest about Nordic and Scandinavian religion, that kind of brand of paganism if you like, if that's not a really offensive way of putting it. But yeah, all, all of these terms come up, don't they? And it's really difficult to know exactly what they are. But we, paganism, we, Wiccan, Wicca and witchcraft aren't necessarily anything to do with each other, and yet they are. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. We had a guest, didn't we, Gaz? A lady by, I can't forget her real name, to be honest, but she, she goes by Mystic Primrose on Instagram, and she sells... Oh, okay. Yeah, she Was sells... She the white witch? Is well, that don't, the one that we... don't call her a white witch. I got in trouble for that on the episode. That... <laughs> she was just oh, a okay. witch. <laughs> right, okay, right. So scrub that. Edit that out, dude. I didn't say that really. <laughs> yeah, she didn't appreciate it. She didn't appreciate it. But nonetheless, she was she was still very congenial with us. Uh, she probably gave better definitions than I did. <laughs> no, no, no. Very similar. Very similar. Because I think I mean don't exactly remember, but I'm, I'm sure that we would have asked a similar type of question in terms of witchcraft, Wicca, paganism, is it just a form of, is it just a form of religion and just in terms of it, it's just, a, you know, Christianity is God and witchcraft is something else. So I'm sure we would have asked that and I can't remember for the life remember what, what, what the answer was, but we probably would have asked very similar questions. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think we're, with witchcraft, especially mod, modern witchcraft, has lots of kind of chapters and lots of lots of different types. So you can have traditional witchcraft, you can have folkloric witchcraft that that draws all of its stories and reasoning from from the folklore that came about as part of the witch trials. 
some people consider the the age-old definition of a witch as someone who had a pact with the devil as being the right one but actually satanism and things like that don't necessarily form part of the modern witch's thinking or or cosmology it's it's a very individual thing Mm. can i ask a quick question about witches familiars yeah yeah, so I mean, and I, I will apologise in advance for this question because my my awareness for this subject comes from Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Okay. <laughs> so she she had a she had a familiar called Salem Saberhagen. This isn't part of right. it; it was just in the back of my brain somewhere. So she okay. had a familiar called Salem Salem Saberhagen, who was the little black cat that followed around and was quite witty and cutting with his remarks. And the yeah. idea was that was a spirit that was born back into the body of an animal. Is yeah. that loosely based on the idea of what a familiar is? Yeah, absolutely. So many people, oh, and could be forgiven for for doing so, would confuse a familiar with a pet. So. Right. The, a witch wouldn't be said just to have like a pet black cat or a pet rat or what have you. The, the creature was a manifestation, as you said, of something from the spirit world that would come and provide help or services or could be sent out to, to do evil deeds somewhere. So the Pendle witches, for example, all, all had familiars. And you could really argue that that was fed to them straight from the magistrates who were putting words into their mouth having read demonology by james the first so if the magistrate say asks you if you've got a toad called richard who brings you beer every night then yeah you, you probably did have a familiar called richard who was a toad who brought beer because <laughs> because you'd get that sounds cool <laughs> where'd, you, where'd you get one <laughs> i know it would be really cool wouldn't it um, but they had spirits who would appear to them in the form of boys or dogs so one of the witches had a a, a big brown dog called ball old demdike for example had a, a boy called tib who would appear to her and he he wore a coat that one half of the coat was black and the other half was brown and and he would bring food and um, old chattox one of the other witches had a um, a familiar called fancy and and fancy and and tib were, were said to have bought them them butter and cheese and flesh as it were which i believe is just like lamb chops or whatever rather than human flesh to to feast on just a quick question then so in terms of familiar then is would 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 the familiar or always manifest itself in the same form or could a familiar take different forms so would it always be a cat or would that familiar uh, sometimes be a cat and then not be a cat and be seen to, to, to manifest itself in a different form, so a frog or a rat or whatever it may be, or is it always just that one form for that one witch? It, it seems to be that, that they have very distinct characters, so it's either a, a dog right. or a boy or a horse or, or, okay. or whatever. Uh, I think the main thing is that they, they weren't pets. So in a you can't see her, but on, on the armchair here next to me, there is a little husky cross who is a pet, but she'd be really useless as a familiar. She wouldn't be able to help me with food. Or she wouldn't be able to go and get things from the spirit world for me. She's not very good at following orders. She's a bit dim. So, <laughs> so yeah, she's very much a pet. She's not, she's not yeah. useful in, in any way, and she certainly isn't going to take messages to and from the devil for me. Right. That's largely how my wife describes me. <laughs> 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 she, 
she's also not going to turn into a cat, so she she does have a fixed form. <laughs> but I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there are there are tales where where familiars have uh, appeared as hares. If the witch can turn into a hare and escape off down the field, there's no reason why she couldn't turn into a bat the next day. Or yeah, it, it just made me curious in terms of because you, you see some of the films and you know you can be hiking along the road and all of a sudden somebody sees something and says, oh that's whoever you know that's such and such looking after me looking over me and then half an hour later it's a different form it's like it's the form of a, a horse or something else and I, and I just wonder whether or not is there that manifestation in different physical forms or is it generally that one form that that is associated with that one which sort of thing but I suspect that it depends on the convenience of the storyteller. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. So there was a there's a, a famous witch who's buried in a churchyard in a, a little village called Wood Plumpton near Preston in Lancashire, which is called Meg. And Meg was known by her local farming community as being able to turn into a goose or um, a milk jug, I think, at some point, and various other things. Um, but that that's not so much being, that's not so much about having a familiar as about being able to change shape, about shape-shifting yes. into other yeah. things to be able to do something. Okay. So, yeah, it's, it's it would be really, it's on the one hand really lovely to have all these tales of people being able to do these these magical magical things but actually yeah i i suspect that it's probably just convenient and fits the narrative and if you if your barn's on fire and you see a dog run out of it then they the local witch clearly could turn into a dog yeah. to set your barn and, 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 that, and that fits the narrative doesn't it for for yes. yeah for, for the, the, the quick quick question we might get onto this and I think I know the answer, but I just need to clarify. If <laughs> if if witchcraft is rooted in sort of or or associated with the devil and Satan, is is therefore all witchcraft perceived to be evil or or not, or is there a is there a con contradictory sort of that that says is it witchcraft? It is incantations. Could incantations be used to heal, or would they be herbalists, healers, etc., type thing? Or is is the association of witchcraft always evil? I suppose is what I'm asking. Probably not. I mean, at the time of the witch trials, there was always a a, a big population of people who were using charms and rhymes and herbal trinkets and tokens and, and things like that who, who were very well tolerated and very well respected within their communities as being helpers right they didn't necessarily run into trouble enough to be accused of consorting with the de with the devil yeah. but modern modern witches are very cognizant of the fact that as human beings we have great potential to do both harm and to do good yeah and it's uh, you, you mentioned the term white witch before, and, and I think the expectation of a white witch is someone who only does good things. But as humans, is it actually possible for us to only do good things? Is it yeah. is it possible not to swear at the traffic warden when they when they put a ticket on your windscreen and you're on the other side of the street and you're only twenty seconds late or whatever? You you just we we're not like that as humans. We have as much light as as we do dark yeah and 
and that goes for all of us. There's there's no one who's who's either purely evil or purely good, and and that's kind of what right. modern witches or many modern witches would say they are just as as likely to cast a hex as they are to cast a healing spell. So so let me just take that one step further. And if you were to I'm going to sound like a game show now. If you were to ask a hundred people a survey, <laughs> sort of thing, what? How many? What? <laughs> percent, <laughs> what? What percentage of people? How many do you think maybe would would perceive witchcraft as always being evil? Because you've said there's the yin and the yang. There's the, the there is the, the the potential to be good and bad. I would suspect that you'd be talking a vast majority of people would always associate witchcraft and wizardry with as used to the dark arts and, and being evil. So now within the witch community and within the people that, that, that understand witchcraft, I suppose you're saying less so, but I, I suspect the general populace might be actually, they just associate it with the, the dark arts and, and evil. Yeah. I, I've absolutely no clue what the right answer to that question yeah. I think you're right. The, the general population would probably err on the side of it's probably a bit evil. Yeah. But the witch community, whoever they are, yeah. would probably say that they're definitely not evil and have just the, the same potential for good and bad as everybody else. Yeah. Okay. Indeed, indeed. So, ah, thank you. <laughs> Do I get a prize now? Do I get a pressure cooker? Or yeah, we'll, we'll sort that. We'll send you a TV <laughs> or something. Yeah, we'll send it BMO or something. It's fine. <laughs> no, that'll be So, yes. So, just to chime in there, Stuart has a question for us. So, he's thinking about the likes of, and probably the name Meg tri triggered this in his mind, I suppose. Mystic Meg, who was obviously very famous at the, when the Camelot first introduced the lottery into Britain, and obviously. Glenn Oddle was uh, England manager as well. Would people, <laughs> would people like Mystic Meg be classed as witches? Do you, do you think we turfed them back sort of 200 years, that kind of nonsense and that kind of looking into the future? Would that be witchcraft or would that be just some kind of clairvoyance or would it be dismissed? I don't know. Well, that's interesting. I don't know whether Mystic Meg would consider herself to be a witch. She might do. She, she might not. I don't don't know her. She had great hair, but I don't remember much much else about her. But but definitely looking into a crystal ball and divining the future and and guessing what numbers would come about very much falls under the the witchcraft act because it was all about you know telling the future and stuff. Necromancy, for example, which we might come back to later if we we've got the the chance. Neck talking to the dead is, is generally seen as an okay thing in our in our culture i think but necromancy in law has always been forbidden when it's been about telling the future so you know talk to dead people but don't ask them what's going to happen tomorrow or or with the lottery so yeah i don't know you'd have to ask mystic meg whether she whether she considers herself to, uh, to be a witch or not but i would imagine that uh, with a public profile like she had in the 90s if she'd had that in the 1590s, she might have found herself in some hot water. I, I suspect she isn't, but wouldn't be cool if she was. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I'd say I, I suspect, I suspect if, if if she was, if she was back in the day, she, yeah, she, she, she might not have been quite as popular as uh, she, she maybe is, uh, was back in the, 
eighties, nineties, or whenever it was. I, I didn't know when she was around, but yeah. No, but then it also depends who's who's kind of whose numbers she was predicting. If she was yes. predicting the king's yeah. numbers, she might have been having a very nice time. Thank you very much. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, we yeah. have one. We have one further question, which I feel obliged to ask, because it comes from a previous guest. Before we move on to to old hellish Nell herself. Does Lindsay consider herself to be a witch? There's an interesting question. I'd like to hear the answer to that. Thank you very much for asking that one, Stephen Norton Burnett. Oh, I think that this is actually that Toffee Crisp moment because that chocolate wrapper has just floated down from the room right above me. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't possibly say. And I'll leave it at that. Thanks, Steve. Well, we'll ask Stephen when he's on next time. He'll tell us, I think. (laughs) (laughs) And he will be on again, so it's fine. And he will be on again, yeah. It's already arranged. (laughs) (laughs) So here's a question for you in that case. Who do you think is more bonkers, me with well witch stories or him with his fractals and Fibonacci sequence? No, I I tell you what, you're... that's a question. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Your 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 take on things and your take on life is probably a lot closer to where I am. As again, we, we we chatted, guys, just before you joined us, and the idea that my the purpose of my life is just purely to create a random number is utterly utterly depressing. I, I know my life is pointless. I know it's really pointless. The stuff I get excited about, very very pointless. I get it. You know what I mean. But. The idea that all I am here is just to create another number for somebody who's far, far more important or even entirely significant in their universe is utterly depressing. But I tell you what, it's it, they're so the two diametrically opposed ideas, I think, in many ways. One comes back from folklore, one very much from right now thinking about almost futuristic style of thought that's asking us to, to think outside the box. And I'm looking forward, because I know we're going to plan an episode later in the year with the two of you on, where we're going to look at those two diametrically opposed... I don't know if Steve has told you that, but he's, we've arranged it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> These two diametrically opposed ideas and how they can unite into one relationship, one household. I'm, I'm fascinated to, to, to hear how that works. And then maybe try and apply some of that understanding to my own marriage. I don't know. <laughs> It, yeah, it, it, it's strange. Because, not strange, that, that's the wrong phrase. It no, was, it's, it's it definitely was, strange. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I found it incredibly compelling. And I suppose being sort of being an IT teacher and, and, and understanding a little bit of software and programming and, and, and how you can program certain things to do, not, not, to, not, not to, to that level, obviously, but, but very rudimentary. So I, I found it quite compelling. And I, I think I'm with Adam in just as much as, I, I would hate to think that I'm just doing this, whatever this may be, just to be a number to create something for somebody else. However, it, it was quite a compelling argument to say, well, how do we know sort of thing? So, yeah, that, I, and actually it would be really cool to, to get you both on and, and almost you duke it out across the room with each other. That would be brilliant. And we'll, we'll just be the, 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 we'll be the referees and it's fine. Oh, God, no, it will be awful. <laughs> <laughs> Awful and brilliant because I I've actually got the antidote because after an hour of of simulation theory, I think it's it it's absolutely right to sell your soul to the devil. Escape up the chimney on a bridge. I give up. That's me done. I'm out. Yeah, I'm off. <laughs> yeah, I'm off. 
at least as a minion to the devil, my life will mean a little bit more than generate exactly. the random. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so speaking of those who have potentially done these evil deeds, Hellish now, whose name I always seem to confuse. So it's Helen Duncan. Helen Duncan. <laughs> yeah. got it right. I got it wrong about five times before we chatted. So Helen Duncan, yeah. I've got the name Helen Gordon in my mind from somewhere. If I know you, if you're listening, I apologize. So yeah, so Helen no, coming through from the spirit world. Yeah, possibly. Possibly. Yeah, who knows? Who yeah. knows? Maybe I need to explore that. So tell us a little bit about her and how she fell foul of this act that we've just been talking about. Okay, just before I answer that, I'm going to get to the end of Gaza's question because Gaza was asking how the Witchcraft Act had come into the 20th yes. century. Yes. So what happened was we had the Witchcraft Act of 1735 that now made it a crime to pretend to be a witch rather than a crime to be a witch. So that stayed with us until Helen, I'm going to say Helen Duncan, <laughs> until... Yes, Helen Duncan. Not, what did you say? You put it in everybody's head now. It's Helen Duncan. Yes, Helen Duncan. Not Helen Gordon or whatever it was that you said. So that stayed until till after her time, until 1951, where the Act was repealed, and it became the Fraudulent Mediums Act. So now it was okay. nothing to do with witchcraft, but it was about again people pretending and conning people out of money pretending to be talking to spirits etc right so they were fraudulent mediums you could also be charged at the time under the vagrancy act which was from 18 something or other where kind of traveling fortune tellers and astrologers yeah. and things could could be charged with with quite petty petty crimes but yeah, after yeah, 19... Well, that, that, sort of, that was what, sorry, sorry to interrupt, that's what I was going to ask about, the, the clairvoyancy, because obviously that's relatively popular, even nowadays, lots of people go to yeah. clairvoyance and this, that, and other. So I, that then made me think, oh, okay. So it, 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 back in the turn of the century, the, the, the clairvoyancy, you could be charged with if you were, using, if you were doing that to effectively to swindle people out of money, then you could be charged un, under that act. Yeah, well, interestingly, we, we talked briefly last time about Most Haunted and Derek Akora and the, the cash machine incident. But Derek Akora was sacked from, from Most Haunted in about 2005 because some of the researchers on the show had made up anagram names and fed them to him as people who had haunted the Bodmin, Bodmin jail. Right. And and so he then channeled these these fictional people and exposed himself as a fraud, as you know, someone who is who was wow. giving giving out false information. So he was sacked from from the BBC. And whilst he wasn't prosecuted in any way, shape, or form, probably were his whatever he did would have come under this fraudulent fraud, fraudulent mediums act of nineteen fifty one. And very shortly after that, the Fraudulent Medium Acts went. That was repealed. And what we ended up with instead was a whole load of consumer protection regulations from the EU in the in the early 20th century. So we can go all the way from Henry VIII to, to consumer protection and um, mis-selling washing machines and products that didn't work and saying you could do things that you couldn't. Wow. So, so actually... 
yeah, if, if something's on TV and it's got mediums and stuff like that, I think it's supposed to have somewhere in its credits that it's for entertainment purposes only. Not that uh, this is absolutely true. And we're definitely talking to your Aunt Sally from Doncaster. I was going to say, I mean, he's got, he, yeah, he's got a pretty solid case for unfair dismissal. Like, he, the, the BBC must have been the only ones who didn't know he was making it up. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the campus claim? That's what I want. Come on, Derek. So he's... So he's <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's trying to do that in the afterlife at the moment. Get in touch, Derek. Send down the toffee crisp. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Helen Duncan, not Gordon. So Helen Duncan, or Nellie as she was known, was born in Scotland in 1897. So she was born to very respectable family of a mum and a dad who were builders by trade, but and they were also Presbyterian. So they were very strictly religious, very strictly Protestant, Puritan, Christian. And so all manner of sins and digressions were, were strictly forbidden. Now, she was one of nine children, I believe. And when she was 16, for whatever reason, she was either seduced or assaulted or who knows what, but she became pregnant. And which for for that kind of family at that time was, was absolutely scandalous. So she was banished and embarked on a career, if you like, as a, as a single mother. So this was in, in 1914 at the start of the First World War. So she then embarked on this very hard, poor life. She went to work in a jute factory and a bleach factory. She did 10 to 12 hour shifts to to feed herself and and clothe her her baby. She was she was very overweight for most of her life, I think, and was was plagued by by health difficulties. She had TB, which must have been really difficult. And a couple of years later she she married a man called Henry who was a cabinet maker, but there wasn't much work around for him. And they, they continued to, to suffer on, you know, they fell on hard times. She ultimately had seven children, eight children. So they got married in 1916, and both of them were always ill with something or other. Uh, poor Henry had been in the war, he had been wounded after after he left the army, he had a heart attack and a nervous breakdown. Nell herself, who, the, the nickname Hellish Nell, if, you, if you've heard of that, came from her uh, kind of naughty willful, willfulness as a child rather than anything to do with the trial later on. But it, as, a, as a child, she was always seeing ghosts and talking to spirits and she had what she described as a very, very close and faithful relationship with God. So anyway, the, the kind of sad circumstances of their life continued. She took in washing and laundry to, to help feed the family. And so you can kind of start to see why spiritualism became more and more appealing to her uh, and then actually became quite a, a savvy career move, if you like. And she started in the 1920s to practice seances, started talking more and more to the, the undead. The undead? The, the dead, the actual dead. The, the zombies hadn't been yeah, invented then. No, <laughs> no, zombies didn't exist in pre-1940. Pre there was never a thing. <laughs> Although it could be now. Well, yeah. <laughs> Do something with that. 
So, so she was a medium in that the, the, the dead spoke through her. And she started to hone this talent where spirits came, came to her and gave messages to people through voices in, from her mouth. She, could, she claimed to be able to read the past by touching objects, which apparently were put in her hands by, by the, the dead people. She could predict when deaths would happen. She could absorb apparently sickness from other people, thus curing them which is quite a talent to have when it's really expensive to get a doctor in pre pre NHS and also in her in her chats with dead people she managed to give quite a lot of comfort to people who had lost loved ones at at the time the the first world war had finished and and in in the war literally millions and millions of the men of of Europe were were killed whole families lost their their men folk their fathers sons brothers and then the Second World War came and brought the whole lot back again. So, so in the culture of that time, there, there was a lot of thought. Death was literally all around and people needed some comfort, which they didn't really see as coming from the mainstream church. And that the, spiritual, the spiritualist church grew quite rapidly during that time. So spiritualism celebrated this kind of contact that they had with the dead and between the wars i believe there's a statistic that says something like 35 percent of the british public believed that it was actually possible to to commune with the dead to to speak to your lost relatives etc i wonder what that percentage would look like today just out of interest i wonder how many people believe in that today i wonder well there's quite a significant number of people who on the on the census described themselves as being jedi aren't they so <laughs> yeah yeah it was just a I little disrespectful a lot of what they say <laughs> but, but, it, but it would be interesting, it'd be interesting to, to try to distinguish between it might be hard conversing with the dead in terms of being a conduit for the dead people to speak through you as such or or associating certain things with the dead or perceiving or, or what you perceive to be a ghost or the dead because th- th- there's different things and there's lots and lots of people I, I suspect if you said have you seen a ghost or have you seen the dead or mm. a lost relative or a lost family member whatever would probably say yes have you conversed with them I suspect the number is much lower and actually it's no so is it more of just a a, 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 a sight thing as opposed to a conversational thing because lots of people say yeah i've seen a ghost or yes i've seen a dead or yes i've seen my dead grandmother or mom or dad or aunt or brother whoever it may be have you actually conversed with those and have you been able to communicate with those well no i haven't do you know what i mean so i suspect that that those figures will will be it'd be interesting to find out but potentially higher in terms of have you seen somebody as opposed to slightly lower in terms of have you actually conversed with them and have you spoken to them Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? Steve and I were talking about this in the car this afternoon. We we were talking about this idea of necromancy, and necromancy is quite literally communing with the with the dead. And yes. people used to believe that you could summon the the spirits up from the grave and send them out to do things for you. And it sounds really, really kind of far fetched and and ridiculous that you that you could actually talk to a dead person but even in our times we we do it quite often 
So we would go to a, a, a graveside of, of our family member and we don't just go to, to tidy up and get the weeds off and throw the old flowers away. We go there in the expectation that we're actually going to spend some time with that person in that person's space. And we see more and more these as, as we drive down roads, we see accident sites where people take things and they, they leave flowers and at Christmas you can see Christmas gifts, you can see football scarves and, and all kinds of things that are put there for that person. So we do, even now in, in 2024, have have an ongoing relationship with the dead people around us. So it, it's always like it's a, a, a kind of continuing human need rather than just something that was consigned to to the ridiculous practices of people who've gone before. But it, it is that, and uh, I'm going to use a phrase now, and it possibly is that sort of play devil's advocate. <laughs> it, it is that, is it when you see like the, the teddy bears or the football scarves or the flowers, or is that a way of remembering them? Or is that a way of you still commute feeling as a that place or or that that roadside or that building or that church whatever maybe is that a way of you communicating with them or is that just a way of holding them in your memory and i don't know the answer i suppose no i i don't know and and i'm lucky enough not to not to have had that experience where where i need to commemorate someone in that way but if it was just for, for me if it was just about memory i could do that here in in my home yes. rather than in that place which now has a whole load of different meaning it's different meaning yeah absolutely yeah yeah that i would then take those kind of gifts or offerings to that person in that place yeah i i, I get that i understand that yeah, yeah it's interesting yeah so anyway back to back to helen so she also developed a relationship with a spirit guide so that is almost kind of going back to this idea of familiars she had various spirit guides the the first and and foremost of of whom would be dr williams and he was he was a very posh gentleman who spoke to her and he he taught her how to set up the environment in in her house so she would have a sectioned off curtained area in the living room with a black curtain and a red lamp he he told her to create a speaking trumpet so she could speak with the voice of the the other spirits that were coming through it, I think he also probably told her about ectoplasm, which we'll come back to later. She had another spirit guide called Peggy, and Peggy would quite often materialise whether she actually did materialise or she was made out of paper and, and cloth. Who knows? If, if you're interested, there's some amazing photos that you can find. If you just do a go, Google image search for, for Helen Duncan and ectoplasm, you you get to see the, the people that she's materialised. And, and to us, they, they just look completely crazy. But many, many people entirely believed in them back in the, back in the day. Some of those photographs, and I have seen them myself, I have to say... I find it difficult to believe that she then got prosecuted off of the back of them because they, they weren't very convincing to me. <laughs> Quite. Quite. So at her seances, she gradually became more and more, more famous and she moved around quite a lot doing seances in churches and things. And eventually she wound up in, in Portsmouth and Portsmouth, as you know, is a, a big, famous naval naval town. 
And in 1941, she made a, I don't know, what do you call it, a prediction or she she manifested the spirit of a sailor. And the sailor told her that his ship had been sunk and gave her various, various messages. And he he told her that he was from the, the HMS Barham, which had been torpedoed. At the, at the beginning of the war, and 800, about 850 sailors had, had died as the ship sank. And this was probably just kind of one of those things that she thought was a, was a, a good story. But the problem was that nobody officially knew that the, the HMS Barham had been sunk. The government didn't didn't make it public because it was kind of it, it wasn't it was quite early in the war, not great for morale. The the relatives of the people who had drowned and gone down with the ship had been informed. And if if you look on Wikipedia, it says that roughly about nine thousand people in the entire country knew. Uh, but it also makes the point that if nine thousand people each told a friend, that would be eighteen thousand people, and yeah. if they told two more people, that'd be yeah. thirty-six thousand people, or however, whatever the Steve will tell me off for my maths if I go down that route. <laughs> <anything. laughs> then it grows exponentially after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. You <laughs> yeah, you get it, don't you? <laughs> I know that he's listening because the toffee crisps are, are raining there. <laughs> so yeah, it seems. On, on the one hand, the government line was that nobody knew. And on the other, there were lots of people who actually who actually did. Yeah. But at some point, there was a lieutenant from the, the Naval Volunteer Service who started attending her, her seances. And he kind of, a bit like the whole Derek Akura thing on, on Most Haunted, he kind of asked leading questions and she gave him false information back and he exposed her as a... As, as a fraud and ultimately she was arrested along with four uh, a few other people who belonged to this spiritualist church that she'd gone to do the seances at, at at Portsmouth and um the local magistrates initially wanted to charge them under the vagrancy act which, which was the one from the 19th century that kind of could prosecute people guilty of of petty crimes like telling fortunes and astrology and and what have you but actually it kind of just escalated and there was a concern about public safety about exploiting recently bereaved people about giving away government secrets and this whole kind of intelligence angle came about as the, out of this story of the the boat being sunk that, that nobody knew about and so it got escalated to the Old Bailey and they ended up being tried under the 1732 Witchcraft Act instead of the Vagrancy Act. So in 1944, you have this little bunch of people from Portsmouth being put on trial as, as witches. Now, one of the most interesting things, I think, is that the Stan, Stanley Worth was the one who exposed her at the seances. And, and he never really, I don't believe that he admitted exactly why he was there, whether he was actually really interested in, in spiritualism in, himself or whether he was, there was a theory that he was a government spy and he was out to find people who were, who were talking too loudly, if you like, or saying the wrong things in the wrong places. But they were arrested initially for, for fraud and poor 
Helen or Nellie, as she was known, was tucked into Holloway for five days. And then she was assigned a, a defence lawyer. And his, names were, his name was Charles Lowesby. Now, Charles was an, another quite well-to-do gentleman. He had served in the army and got to the rank of captain in the Lancashire Fusiliers. He was awarded the Military Cross for his services in the, the war, where he was gassed and wounded. He had quite a, a, quite a difficult life health-wise as well. In 1918, he became an MP. But the most interesting thing of all was that he was an ardent spiritualist. So he actually believed in the mediums and the things that they could do and the ectoplasm and the, the mystique and, and everything. So he actually loathed Helen and the other people she was she was on trial with. And he was really quite disparaging and disrespectful about them. He described them as, well, in, in a word, pretty stupid he he encouraged the jury to dismiss any any suspicion of fraud basically because they were too they weren't clever enough to be able to do it so he had this kind of dual aim to to dismiss any the the charges of fraud but also to forward belief in spiritualism because he because he really believed in it. So it's a really bizarre situation to be in, in a courtroom in the Old Bailey in 1944. Incredible. That is bizarre. That is bizarre. It is, yeah, it is. Yeah, it, it's, it, it, in a way, it makes you think, okay, so if that happened then, what, what are the things that are going on now and potentially what are the things that are going on now that some people could be either tribal for or not? And, if there's nothing that they could be tried for now, then why don't you go back to look back in the day and get tried under an old law that actually now has not been superseded or, or whatever, because it, I'm assuming there's still lots of laws from back in the day that actually they haven't been updated or have just been long forgotten. But if there's something that happens now that you think, well, actually, we can't get you on this, but hey, back in the there 1700s, there, there, was, there was a law that said this, we can get you on that. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, well, the law was still in statute, the the, yeah. the Witchcraft Act. So, so whilst they weren't just people they could say were were telling fortunes or what have you, and they clearly weren't vagrants, they were in fact pretending, as it were, or that was the accusation, to conjure spirits and yeah. to commune with the dead and all of those other things that did still stand under the under the Witchcraft Act, yeah, even yeah, though yeah. it wasn't to to last much longer. Yeah. So it's it's crazy, really. And then the the British government kind of had an interest because they wondered whether this person was actually giving away secrets and sharing yeah. intelligence that the public didn't know about. I mean, they couldn't really charge her with anything practical around that, with treason or anything like that, because that would be literally to say that the words that she spoke and the things that she did were true. <laughs> so the yeah. Witchcraft yeah. Act was a lot more appropriate and convenient, yeah. I sure. guess. Are you familiar with the song The Last Witch of England by Seventh Son? Have you heard that? I've heard of it, but I don't know the song. No, no, no. Well, I was not. Oh, no, <laughs> I, I, it crossed my mind, but frankly, every time I've pinched something and shared it on here, I've got stinking letters off YouTube telling me to stop doing it. So oh, okay, I, chose, do I chose just to rather read out the introduction <laughs> than, than, than actually read. 
actually finally get some 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 litigation from YouTube. <laughs> so it, it starts off in ninety because it's it's a it's a voiceover. It's a very sort of seventies prog rock feel to it. In 1944, medium Helen Duncan became the last woman in Britain to be convicted of witchcraft when one of her seances exposed a government attempt to cover up the deaths of 861 sailors. The way she was hounded to death remains a scandal. So, I mean, that's a very different take on it than, than the one we've heard a little bit where, you know, there's we, we've sort, we can question. We can question her authenticity. We can question whether she generally was a witch and what she did. But in many ways, the real crux of the matter, like you said there, was the exposing of government secrets. And that's where she really got herself into mischief, wasn't it? Allegedly, yeah. I, I, I suppose. But did she really give away a government secret or did she just let slip in a way that enabled her to sell tickets at £12 a head on a Saturday <laughs> night? <laughs> but, that's what many people in the country already knew because a couple of months had, had passed since the incident and word gets out, doesn't it? Yeah. And and there are stories of quite high up people leaking that information yeah. from well, straight from the Navy. Yeah, I think was it was it Winston Churchill who said something like uh, well, a lie can get halfway around the world before the truth has even had a chance to put its pants on or something like that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so certainly something like that, which is you know, could be seen as speculation, I suspect. Although you say, you know, exponentially it spread, it probably spread like wildfire, didn't it really? Yeah, Everybody yeah, absolutely. The press was a very different animal back then, I imagine. Yeah, so I, I think that it's very unlikely that she was intentionally giving away no. intelligence that really wasn't for, for everybody's ears. It was just, it was probably common knowledge in the, I mean, she was in Portsmouth. I mean, if she had been in rural Derbyshire or something, or yeah. what have you, a million miles from the sea and a million miles from the Navy, it would be realistic to think she may have got that information from the spirit world, not from, from like the local tea shop or something. <laughs> So there's there's an appeal that runs even to this day, though, isn't there, to have a posthumously pardoned? Yeah, well, in fact, there's an there's a there's a, an appeal or a petition or whatever you want to call it to have all of the witches pardoned because even in when in the seventeen when the seventeen thirty two act were, was dreamt up, they they accepted then that witchcraft was an impossible crime. You couldn't possibly kill somebody by putting a spell on them. And it, in fact, a lot of the people who died of witchcraft died very long and kind of painful deaths of, of terminal diseases rather than of being kind of struck down by a bolt of thunder or yeah. or what have you. I don't think there's any record anywhere of someone dying immediately from a curse. And a John Law, who, who was the guy who Alison Device of the, the Pendle Witches cursed, was the only one who suffered any immediate effects and chances are he just probably had a stroke that he was going to have anyway yeah. but who knows but in that lyric that you, you just quoted Adam it it said she was then hounded to death but the thing is she got sentenced to nine months in jail for fraud after after the trial but then when she came out she was arrested again a couple of years later for, for holding more seances so i don't really feel that that's strong evidence that she was hounded to death however some people believe that when she died 
the reason that she died was that the police disturbed her while she was in a trance and she was exuding all this ectoplasm all, all over the place. And when the police disturbed her, it made her jump and all the ectoplasm sprang back into her body. And that's how she died of the impact of the ectoplasm, which sounds completely bonkers, doesn't it? But it does. maybe, maybe it's true. <laughs> Who knows? Well, 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 it does. So I know when we spoke at the start, you said that maybe just maybe you'd give us a recipe for ectoplasm. So perhaps the recall of this, shall we say, manufactured ectoplasm. I'm not suggesting in her case it wasn't real. Although it was a good. <laughs> maybe that is what the recall of that into her body or recoil into her body may have actually caused some physical damage, couldn't it potentially? Uh, I would probably say so, given what it was actually made of. So shall we shall we kind of finish with the recipe for ectoplasm? Yeah, and and a disclaimer, just in case YouTube are listening, don't try this at home. Do not. So what you need, what you need to gather together in your little ectoplasm shopping list is a whole load of cheesecloth or muslin cloth like meters and meters and meters of the stuff you can twist it up you can wrap it around you whatever but you need loads of it you need a load of egg white you need various chemicals <laughs> whatever those are you need a whole load probably nearly as much as the material of chewed up toilet roll and the most important ingredient is a load of cut-off heads from magazine and newspaper articles to put, put in your mix so there's a few eyes and noses and, and faces in there. You mix it all up. I don't know whether you mix it up in a bucket or you just mix it with your hands or what have you. But then you eat it and you can <laughs> eat it to regurgitate later at your seances and you can pull it out of your mouth you can pull it out of your nose obviously you can make all kinds of horrible and convincing spiritual type noises as you as you're doing this behind your black curtain with your red lamp and your speaking trumpet you can pull it out of various body parts really for whatever's convenient for you and whatever your preference is but what you really have to do is make sure that you can snatch it back quickly when the police come in to arrest you. <laughs> I tell you what, having seen Ghostbusters and the ectoplasm in there, I would much rather produce that from my body. Chewed <laughs> up toilet roll. Yeah, the chewed up toilet over newspaper and cheesecloth. I, you know, I mean, I had my fill of cheesecloth when I had kids and wiping up their puke. The idea of ingesting it absolutely not no not it, just sounds, it. it just sounds horrendous. you have to be really committed to your to your ticket sales <laughs> that's, the, that's the understatement that is i tell you what <laughs> so you interestingly must... in the last, last time at the end i told you the story about the boy who was late home he went on an adventure with the witches on horseback and with greyhounds etc and the witches that end up being accused by him and his dad in the aftermath of that were sent to London to be examined by by prominent doctors and midwives of the day and they had they underwent these horrible physical examinations where they had every part of them examined to look for witches marks and evidence and people various people psychic investigators and scientists examined Helen or Nellie 
at, at various points and tried to to prove that she had ectoplasm that could come out of her. But and they, they tried to put her in X-ray machines and things to to see what they could see inside inside her body. But lo and behold, every time. <laughs> She managed to escape or hit someone or, or or run away. She was asked to swallow, what's it called? It's like a blue chemical that you can add to things. She was asked to swallow that, but unfortunately on that on that occasion no ectoplasm could could appear because if it if she had swallowed it the the, the toilet roll and the, the cloth would come out blue. Was it gentian? Maybe it was gentian. Something like that, I think it's called, yeah. Yeah, so so no empirical evidence of, of Nell's ability to produce ectoplasm appeared. And unfortunately, there well, there was there was one really comical experiment where some, some men waited with scissors for for the ectoplasm to start coming out so that so that they could chop it off, but but none was none was produced and she, she ran away or beat them with a handbag or something. <laughs> so yeah, so whether hellish Nell died at the hands of her own ectoplasm or whether she just suffered a rather mundane death due to heart problems we we probably won't know no that's it. as you said at the start there you know you know she was in rather poor health anyway and i, I don't imagine ingesting things like that would have helped in any way whatsoever with anybody's health so probably yeah not. it's a sad story i think to be honest with you and you know what i mean whatever her intentions were as i guess our own, our own desire to be remembered. She's been successful in some ways in that everybody knows her tale now that we've been able to share it now, sort of 80 years on in the future. We can talk about her and remember her, and that's better than just generating a random number in another universe. No. Isn't it? <laughs> You'd think so, wouldn't you? I do think so. <laughs> <laughs> So with that, we, we trail many episodes to come because that's another two planned in there. Just in case you're unaware, Stephen Houghton Burnett is that his correct pronunciation of his surname? I Houghton Burnett. Houghton. He, he did tell me I <laughs> that one wrong as well. Yeah. So so that is. We call various things in his time. Houghton <laughs> Burnett is probably one of the most polite. That's it. That's it. I, I <laughs> me to comment but yeah so he you know he is your other half and we, he was on a couple of episodes ago so that episode will if you're watching on the live stream will be dropping this weekend if you're listening then it was a couple of weekends ago so we hope you enjoyed that one and tonight i tell you what you've had your value for money bear in mind it's a free podcast as well because we normally call things to a stop around about an hour mark, but we've really enjoyed this oh, one we've you. really enjoyed hearing the story of like we say the last which of Scotland? So it's been an interesting we got there story. Eventually, didn't we? <laughs> we did. We, we did. We, we always get diverted along the way. That's the tall boy radio <laughs> way, isn't it, Gaza? There's always a left turn uh, sooner or later, and and if you listen to us long enough, there's there's probably more than one. So yeah, we 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 got there in the end, and and if you left turn often enough, then you end up absolutely back where you started. So yeah, a lot. I, I thoroughly enjoy this episode. It, it's great when. When we have guests on and the educators in 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 things that, that we we're unaware of and, and and we haven't heard of and it's fascinating just just to chat to yourself, Lindsay, and 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 all the guests that we have on. Thoroughly enjoy this episode. Can't wait for the next time that, that we have Lindsay on and and we'll be talking about something completely different, no doubt. 
<laughs> well, you know. it's all arranged. I don't think I don't think Lindsay knows what we're going to be talking about. I've arranged it with Stephen, though. <laughs> Have the fortune. That's there. That's where we go. Exactly. So, Lindsay, would you like to say your goodbyes to our listeners and leave us with any final thoughts that you have? Yeah. Thank you very much for having me for spending another evening talking about witches with me. Please don't eat the toilet roll, and if you do, make sure it doesn't kind of all splat back at you in the uh, horrible, gory, untimely toilet roll death. But yeah. <laughs> uh, there's there's loads of really interesting uh, books and stuff to read about Hellish Nell and and her story. It's a lot more intricate and a lot more political than I've been able to cover today. Spent most of my time talking about ancient laws. Uh, but thank you. Thank you very much. It's lovely Absolute to pleasure. Absolute pleasure. And if you want to find out more about Lindsay, you can head to pendlecore.com. Am I correct in saying that's the yeah. website? Yeah, yeah, or on Instagram. Or on Instagram at Pendlecore, as you will see there if you're watching it on the video. I would recommend doing so because it is very, very interesting stories that you can hear about witchcraft. And it's something that interests me because, you know, to understand where we're going, to understand where we are and the people that we are today, we need to understand a little bit about the past and the characters that formed us. And clearly, that still carries on into the present when we're talking about the 1940s and, and onwards. And we're still looking at maybe looking back at these people and getting repealed. And that probably is what needs to happen because these people, you know, whether you, if you believe in witchcraft, maybe they perhaps did deserve to be punished. If you didn't believe in it, maybe they didn't. But that is indeed for another day. So thank you very much for tuning in. We'll catch you next week when no doubt we'll be talking about something very different altogether. <laughs>